Good Tuesday morning, everybody. My name is Eric Bjorndorf. I'm the CEO of Evernet Consulting. We are Finance and Technology Insights, and I'm joined by my co-host. What's Bro- happening? Brian Williams from Northshire Consulting. Good to be back after a little bit of vacation, although we were able to record, which is nice. And yep. uh, now we're back, uh, everybody at home base. How so was when, the uh, trip? Uh, it was very good. So uh, since we recorded last Tuesday, we stayed the rest of the week and then flew back on Saturday. Uh, a lot of pool time. The weather in Florida cooled down a little bit, which was nice. And um, I don't know, went out to eat every night, did the, did the golf cart thing, had a pretty uneventful flight back uh, from Orlando into New Haven. We flew into New Haven on a velo, um, which is super easy on and off and had a friend pick us up and take us home. I was greeted by a tree that fell down and broke a section of our fence. But um, other than that, not so bad. Nice. Nice. How was your weekend? Last uh, weekend was good. Um, I think me and the guys, we pulled off a um, a last minute poker game, which was uh, which was funny. Uh, and then Friday, I passed my last uh, certifications. I, I, I think I spoke about it this summer. I was kind of uh, bulking up on some certifications in my industry. And I passed, um, I think it was Friday or Thursday. It might have been Thursday. I passed the um, an acronym CISM, Certified Information Security Manager, which is kind of a mastery level, managerial level certification that aligns with my experience so that was that was exciting yeah that's really good so that's that's two exams uh you passed this summer so i don't know if i want to make this public I, you know i don't care i'm an open book i no. i actually i actually took three three exams mm-hmm. this summer uh i took the um cissp which uh i'm an acronym let's see certified information system security professional which seems to be the penultimate certification the mastery certification for for my field like it's like a it's like a cio chief information officer level certification Mm -hmm. um highly managerial um so the cissp i was studying for all summer and i passed that i think what three or four weeks ago uh and that was exciting that was that was a relief and then i started digging into my um certifications that I got 20 years ago when I was a kid, right out of, right out of college. Cause I went to college and then I, and I, and then I went to a trade school for um, like 12 uh, for like a, month, uh, a year or something. And I got certification. So I'm, I've got, it's unusual for people, in my trade to have a college degree in, in the subject matter and certifications. It's kind of, you do either or, but I, I, I've done both. Um, but anyways, I, I haven't really logged into my, the various, it was Microsoft certification. I'm a Microsoft certified systems administrator, which is, again, is kind of like a mastery level engineering cert. Um, and that was like, uh, you know, eight exams or something. Um, and then I have the, what's called the A plus the net plus. And I, I took the classes for the security plus exam and the Linux plus exam but I got a job after I finished the MCSA and the A plus and the net plus. Mm-hmm. So once I got a job, uh, I, 
I was, I must have, I, I look back now and I kind of remember, like I was just kind of looking forward, right. I kind of thought I was starting my career and looking forward and I never went and finished the. I never got the test for the uh, security plus or the Linux. Mm. Plus. And, um, I, I guess I've been representing, um, I mean, although I haven't really had to represent my credentials, but I think in my mind, I thought I had the security plus and Linux plus certifications. So, um, as I logged into my accounts, I, I had to, did I tell you this last week? I logged you, in. You had sent me a text and, uh, I, I questioned whether it was you or an employee and then you went into it a little bit. Yeah. But we so, didn't talk about it on the show. So the, the administrative authorities for the certifications are CompTIA, uh, Microsoft, uh, uh ISC squared and ISACA and the CompTIA one's a pretty popular one. And that's where the security plus is administered. Um, that account I hadn't logged into in 20 years. I think as soon as I got the certification, I printed it. I just never logged into it again. Right. And um, I try, I was trying to get access to the account. I had to resurrect an old Hotmail email address <laughs> in order to gain access to this account. And I, I went into my filing system and I found some, uh, some old documentation pertaining to the certs I had. And I was able to kind of muck together enough information that was on the account that the support at the agency finally gave me access to the account. It was using my my father's landline, old landline phone wow. number that we that has has you know we haven't had literally in twenty years, I think. So um, it was just funny to see the how the the street address that I was the account was registered to was like the, my my childhood house growing up and seemed very which is funny. So, anyways, long story short, um, once I got into the account, I realized that I didn't have the Security Plus certification or the Net Plus or the sorry the Security Plus and the Linux Plus for that matter. So fortunately, the the CISSP certification um, um, high highly, uh, what do I say? Um, the, the, the standard is really high in that you have to go to a testing center and the testing center, if you've ever been to one is like, it's, it's like a very, um, high standard when it comes to like checking in, they take your mm -hmm. biometric, they take your palm scans, they pictures and they validate the hell out of you and, yeah. and all this stuff. And you're there for three hours taking this exam. Um, you can do that with this, the security plus and, and um, but they also support what's called remote proctoring. And that was kind of intense. So you can take the test at home, but you have to literally take, you have to pan your can your computer around and show them the workspace. And if the workspace is not, uh, does not meet the criteria, they had me remove everything off my desk. They had me remove the garbage can from the room. Wow. Um, no watch, no phone, nothing like the, it was, it was pretty intense, but it was kind of a, significant convenience you know what i mean so mm -hmm. so i was able to so i said you know what i let me just see <laughs> let me just see if i can just ride through this with my experience on the security plus so i spent the five or six hundred dollars on the exam for security plus and i and i took it the next day mm -hmm. and i passed okay. so long story short i i discovered i was i didn't have the security plus i was kind of representing that i had it um, although i don't often have to need i don't need to represent my credentials very often but um, but I got it. I kind of backfill. I considered myself backfilling that, which which I should have had anyways, which was nice. I got the CISSP, which is at Mastery Cert, and then the CISM I got on Thursday, mm. which is um, I think the industry kind of looks at the CISM uh, as kind of a little brother 
to the CISSP. I think most okay. people want the CISSP, um, but the CISM speaks for itself too. So, hmm. and so what was the impetus of getting getting all these at this point in time? I know you're getting ready to start your MBA stuff. Did that factor into it, or just just checking boxes? Um, you know, my entire life, I've always struggled with imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and the you know, it's not like we're curing cancer with what, what, in what we're doing, but it's important for me to make sure that I'm, um, a good leader for my staff. Um, and that I can, you know, reasonably and responsibly represent myself as the professional that I've been Mm -hmm. for so many years, you know, um, no, but my clients never ask for my credentials ever, you know, um, and very slim chance they know what any of those mean or stand for anyway. <laughs> exactly. And that's kind of an unfortunate um, thing in our industry, sort of, because you can get a guy who has been working on cars for the last 20 years and just um, but has been building his own PCs in his basement and and then hang a shingle at, in a strip mall and start advising people on managing their technology and their computers. And they really don't have the business acumen or um, experience to really manage and advise a business with, with higher stakes, like a healthcare provider or a law firm or some other professional services company. So we often are competing against that lower tier resource. And I don't want to like, I don't want to hold anybody down, but there's still, I think the stakes are high enough that, you know, the, the people who we serve, um, deserve. And quite frankly, it's actually the data that the people we serve, you -hmm. know, let's face it. The law firm understands the, the, the importance of the data that they're carrying, but they're also not, they're not technology professionals and it leaders, so they don't all, in fact, they quite frequently don't act in the best interest of their clients because of right. their lack of due diligence on vendors like us, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyways, I mean, again, a lot of words to say that, um, you know, I talk the talk I, and I walk the walk. I just want to be able to, you know, do that with this, with a level of pride and integrity, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's really important. Um, you know, especially if you're leading a team and you're trying to encourage them to further their career and do that sort of stuff, you know, it's, it's not that it's impossible to do that if, if you don't have those certifications, but it certainly does, does help, you know, yeah, and, and then they may you, come to you with questions or they may, you know, look for yeah. that path. And once you get into the stream of your career and the, and the services that you deliver, you can actually get a worn path and a little, or a little, or a little rut for, for lack of better words. And you can lose visibility of maybe the, the, the broader vocation or the broader subject matter. I see that a lot. I think I I do really well in not doing that because I'm such, I'm such a a eager technologist. I just love technology. I love business. So, and I love where those two meet. So I, I stay pretty abreast. So a lot of these certifications that I was taking, um, you know, they were intense, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I only studied for one of them for two months and then the other one, the other two, I basically didn't study for. And, and I was able to ride on the, ride on my experience to, yeah. to, 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 to do that. Um, so, uh, 
I jumped the track. I forgot what I, I forgot what my point was, but <laughs> well, before we put a pin in it, I'll ask you, I'll ask you two quick questions, two easy ones. So what was the biggest thing you learned maybe technically that helps you when you're kind of in your weeds with clients? And then the second question would be, what's kind of the broader thing that, that you learned that'll help you more from a business sense? Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of learning. That's the, that's, hmm. that's the thing. I, kind of possessed the body of knowledge that these tests encompassed. Um, I guess what I learned was um, I learned, it's not even that I learned the new vocabulary, but I learned that there, there is a specific vocabulary that is being promoted at the CIO level uh so to speak. So um, using terms like uh, security controls, like that is, that is like the def, that is the um, de facto term when we, when, when describing um, a lock on a data center uh, or a, um, or antivirus or something, something like that. Like they actually, they just refer to these things as security controls. And it's a term that just kept coming up and up and up. So um, I didn't really learn anything new, uh, um, but it was a kind of a, um, an alignment of vocabulary, I think, mm. which is, which is learning, you know, that yeah. is, that is, that is a benefit. Got to learn what all the newfangled stuff the kids are talking about, right? Yeah. So <laughs> anyways, to... that, that's what was going on with me. What's, um, what's new? You want you jump, jump into the news uh, or you, well, I want to just to share, share something that I think is, is kind of funny and it might be sort of an issue in your, your business uh, as well. But this is um, something I've pulled up from FINRA, um, which is the financial industry. Gosh, I forget what it means already. But um, so these are the list of all the designations that are available. There's Yeah, uh, so the CISM was in there. You see that? Oh, was it? I think it it was. Uh, Or maybe, you know, let me scroll. I don't know if it's alphabetical. Do a control F and... uh, I thought I saw it in there, maybe, maybe not. But uh, but it's kind of funny that there's uh, almost 240 different designations in financial services, which is which is kind of funny because um, a lot of these really don't mean much of anything. They're just simply, you know, you're going on and buying a buying some letters or buying a certification that that doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. There's some of them that obviously do. I mean, mean they, something, but I don't want to. I don't want to poo-poo a uh, certification. I guess it's self-serving for me to say that now under the, what we just discussed, but they do represent a body of knowledge, mm-hmm. you, you know? And if you have an organization who is looking for, in, you know, security auditors or financial auditors or, some, you know, the some specific realm, um, you know, it's kind of nice. It's not. It's kind of nice to a have that certification and say, yes. okay, that represents you possess that body of knowledge. Two hundred is pretty. You know, is 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 a lot. That's all yeah. There's know. probably maybe twenty to twenty five. I think on here that are really. Um, I, I really like the niche stuff. I think that stuff adds a lot of value. Like there's a few that are, you know, certified divorce advisor. That that stuff adds real, real value if you're going through that situation and you can see that somebody has those certifications. Um, I think that that stuff I matters. Mean, there is, you know, there's 
it can be tough when you have uh, a generalist trying, you know, some people want to hire generalists and uh, some people, you know, don't want to hire gen, you know, so it's like, I don't say there's nothing worse than, but for lack of better words, there's nothing worse than a generalist represent re representing that they can handle your divorce when like maybe they've done like, you know, a dozen in 20 years rather than a divorce attorney who, ha who has a dozen active yeah. divorces. You, you know what I mean? Um, and some people are okay with that generalist saying like, Hey, we generalists can get me through this. Uh, right. so sometimes you don't want the generalist. So. Yeah, and a lot, and a lot, and a good generalist will have a significant rolodex of people that they can pull in to to help in those situations. And Hopefully, a generalist might be helping you on two or three different things, so that's why that's you know a good starting point. And then you know they can they can add value by bringing in other professionals. That's um, tell, me, tell me this in your in your trade. Do you have so in our trade we have a lot of certifications that are vendor specific. Do you have any certifications or yeah. designations that um, are vendor? And when I say vendor, I, whether, yeah, that's a good question. I would, I would say no because it's it's hopefully you're not that tied to products. Uh, what you will have is vendors that sell a product or a service and also have a certification, which I think is maybe a little bit different than than what you're talking about. So, so there's a company called Fi Fi three sixty that has some fiduciary stuff that's based around uh, retirement plan reporting. And, and they also have uh, a couple of certifications. They have the AIF, which is the accredited, I think it's accredited institutional fiduciary or something like that. So, um, so they have that, but it's not necessarily, they're not, they're not certifying you to use their products. It's just mm. kind of a, um, just kind of leveraging their, content or their contact database to sell this fiduciary standard. So hmm. um, I think that's probably a little bit different, but it's, it's, yeah, I mean, we, we have a number of uh, many vendors, in fact, have certification uh, tracks that surround their products, um, mm -hmm. which is, which is, it's interesting for like companies like Cisco, which in for many years, all through the nineties, basically they were, they literally ran the internet you know, everything was interconnected with Cisco. I don't, I don't think that's the case anymore. I think there's a lot of competition in the market now. Um, but for major uh, networking equipment, um, but, um, but uh, sorry, I'm just, <laughs> no, I, I would just, I think that's interesting from a perspective of if you're a client or a potential client and you know, a hundred percent what, you want as a solution. So if you're part of a larger organization and you know you want this product to implement from a technology standpoint, you could go out and seek professionals that have that designation in that um, specific product or service that you're looking for. Mm. Whereas if you don't know what you want, um, you know, not to say that professional who had that designation wouldn't be good, but then you could go the other way and say, well, is this professional trying to sell me this product because they're certified in it and that's what they know and it might right. not be that's, that's no, in, in, in our case, yeah, in our case, like if you were to be a CCNA, which would be a Cisco Certified Network Administrator, CCNA, Cisco Certified Network Engineer, in, in the 90s and the early 2000s, 
um, you would have, you know, you'd be like a walk on for to work for Verizon, Comcast, mm -hmm. you know, charter, that sort of thing, because they, they need, they would need that specific skill set because right. we had, they had that installed base. That's kind of yeah. the context. Of that. And now you see a lot of like the, uh, the Microsoft Azure, I think they probably have some designation and, yep. and yep. AWS has like their AWS, uh, I had exactly. taken that certification. So, yeah. and, to, yeah, and to employers that, you know, that again, that's important if they have infrastructure that uses those, those vendors, they want to, they want the resources who, who have that vendor knowledge. Yeah. Um, what's going on in the markets? Anything, uh, anything you, you want to report that's interesting? Um, yeah, the interesting stuff has been happening on, on the bond side. We've talked a little bit about that, that, and so the bond yields and bond interest rates, when you look at like the 10 year interest rate, so loaning money to the government for 10 years, basically is what you're doing there. That interest rate has really soared over the last year or so. And that's what's most mostly tied to the mortgage rates. So we've got mortgage rates that are um, from an all time perspective, not ridiculous, but, you know, certainly over the last couple of decades, we're sort of at that high point now we're um, kind of pushing that seven, eight percent interest rate on mortgages. So um, so that's created a little bit of friction in the in the mortgage marketplace. Housing's a huge industry and people moving and doing upgrades and all that sort of stuff is a huge part of the economy. So to not have that kind of housing in motion, I think is something different that we haven't had to deal with for a long time. Um, so the interest rate factor, it's been great for people who are saving, you know, you can, you can get that one year CD, you can get that one year treasury bond, you're getting five and a half percent. That's nice because you never had that in a while. Um, but uh, you know, for August on the stock market side, it's been a little lackluster down a little bit, um, still up for the year and up significantly, but August is kind of a dead month. Uh, is, August, is August often a down month or just a flat month? I mean, I saw usually, usually down. there's not. So usually there's not much going on. So so volume is very thin because everybody's you know every Wall Street's out at the Hamptons, right? So there's not a lot of volume during August. So when there is um, some sort of a crisis, like we had a, a there was a China crisis. I want to say in twenty like sixteen or seventeen, and that was middle of August and it created all sorts of problems in the market. And part of it was just, there wasn't a bunch of volume. So when there's huge sell-offs, there isn't as many buyers and, and sellers to make, make a market. So usually August is really not much happening. Historically, September and October have been down months, mm. um, but you know, you can't really trade on that kind of stuff. What, um, do you, what do you know about what BRICS is trying to do with creating their own currency? Have you seen any of those headlines? Yeah, I followed that a little bit. Um, it's really tough to separate the the facts from sort of the extremism yeah, and alarmism and, and right. that kind of stuff. It's uh, something I'd have to get into a little bit farther. But I, you know, listen, none of these companies want countries want to be dependent on the dollar all the mm -hmm. time. And when you look at treasury issuance, meaning just basically the money that U.S. government has to borrow. We've got to borrow a lot of money and there's a lot of issuance coming up and they when they issue those bonds to, to borrow money they need buyers on the other side and the buyers have historically been there um but they may not be there forever so it is something that we need to think about we have this idea that we can continue to borrow and borrow and borrow but at some point who who are we borrowing from you know, eventually they say, you know what, enough is enough. We don't want to be tied to the dollar. We don't want to have our reserves in the dollar. We don't want to have our currency pegged to the dollar, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely something to follow. 
Yeah, there's a really great book that I read years ago called, um, with, um, of course, I'm going to butcher it, How How Economy is Made and How It Runs or something by Peter Schiff back mm -hmm. in back when the libertarians were making a big push in uh, the 2012 election race. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's like, it's almost a picture book. And it was, it was just describing how the U S kind of controls the dollar and how the, the United States economy uh, and the way that the fed manages the currency, the, the U S dollar just kept, you know, they keep hollowing it out and then they keep selling it to, uh, you know, China and the, the foreign markets and somehow they're under this delusion that like it's it's the dollar so it's just good for them forever but the the thesis of the book was that like eventually you'll have a, a paper mache figure of what the dollar looks like but there's nothing there's no dollar in there anymore you, right you know? and when that yeah. happens uh you know i don't know what his what his uh, prediction was but it's you know changes to the global economy land you know are going to uh, going to occur so when I saw BRICS, when I saw the headline that BRICS was getting together to uh, potentially charter their own currency, you know, it's kind of, it was kind of like, well, that he called that one. Um, now, just for the viewers out there, what BRICS is, BRICS stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China. And I think it used to be BRIC, but now it's BRICS because South Africa just joined or joined recently within the recent years to that coalition. Now, do you think... And I don't want to call you on it or put you on the spot if you're not too <laughs> no, pretty fine. too. But does does the headline in in uh, in uh, infer that um, or suggest that they will actually mint a shared currency across their their economies? That that would be the pri primary currency for domestic use. I think they could. I think they could get to that point. I mean, there's a progression that they would have to go through, or they'd have to kind of tie all their currencies together, and you know, very similar to like what the euro went through and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, there's certainly this is, you know, when we talk about this stuff, it's not like 10 or 15 year economic cycles. It's more like super cycle stuff, like 500 year cycles, which mm -hmm. we know every great civilization comes to an end at some point, and there's a, you know, that doesn't last forever. So. It's just the question is, does it happen? You know, it, are we at the end of that super cycle or does it go another 200 years or, you know, does well, the story and of them, that's and how the, consequential is it really for, for a company to control their own currency? Is that because they can just continue to borrow from themselves inflating their own currency and the government can just continue to drive the agendas that the, the ruling elite want? Is that, is that really the only impetus yeah. to do that? Yeah. And I, and I wouldn't underestimate ego and that kind of stuff too. I mean, we don't think about that because we're, you know, we're in the U S and it always kind of feels like we're in the dominant position, but you know, if you're in one of these other countries and you turn on the news and you see your currency's down against the dollar, your current, it's like, why are we always getting compared to, you know, the big brother type of thing. So, mm. um, so I think that also plays a role in it. And these countries do have currency reserves, even though a lot of them are obviously in, in significant debt they do have some reserves and they are buying u.s treasuries and at some point if those they feel like those are going to be worthless or if they think there's a chance that the u.s defaults or doesn't pay something back which other countries have gone through if other countries have defaulted on debt so if they just look at it from a financial standpoint we they say you know what u.s is nuts we don't think they're going to pay us back in 30 years well, well that's a legitimate concern i mean to tie into that point uh what what agency just 
downgraded. Did, did the U.S. just got downgraded? From yeah, a, that was that was Fitch. Plan? Fitch down downgraded us. So um, they're they're the lesser of the agencies. So they're kind of a you know people just kind of dismissed that. But um, is that a is that a bellwether? Is it a canary in the coal it, mine? It could be. It, a- it could be. Um, it really didn't affect the markets at all. It really didn't affect treasuries and stuff. Um, what is big? Uh, what is big shorts? Uh, what's his name say? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, so that was that was interesting. He got a bunch of headlines last week because what's his name Michael. Uh, yeah, uh, Barry. Barry. Is that name? But the big shorts, Michael Barry. God. Yeah. He. Uh, <laughs> so he. Yeah. So there was a bunch of headlines last week saying that he was shorting the U.S. market and it had big dollar amounts tied to it, but all that came back from his regulatory filing that had he that said he had a certain amount of option positions and those option positions they um extrapolated back to get this dollar amount but that doesn't necessarily mean that he took this amount of money and then you know shorted the market and this is his potential loss or whatever we don't know the specifics mm-hmm. of those option contracts so basically the financial reporting was looking at his option contracts and saying this is the maximum amount of exposure those option contracts should have had. So then they get the headline of, you know, he bets big against the U.S. market or whatever. But we don't know what else he was holding, if that was a, an right. option bet that ends next Friday or an option bet that ends in the year. Because you're not you, you don't have to report uh, the specifics of your option trades on your regulatory filings for, for people right. like him. So that Good. was a. Uh, Get get some headlines. So, little little housekeeping. We're halfway through the show. Um, if you haven't already subscribed to the show and um, hit the bell so you're notified of our next show, I had a couple of friends ask me recently when they heard that I was uh, on a podcast how to find us. So, if you to any of my friends or colleagues out there, if you're watching, um, you know, give a subscribe. Brian and I have been doing this now for I think we're coming up on a year and a half. Or two? Yeah, yeah, at least I think we started in December of 21. 21, yeah. Wow, look at us. We're, we're kind of OG podcasters. or Yeah, we really are. Mid-career podcasters or however you want to describe it. Or yeah. maybe, maybe it's a little ambitious. So yeah, The number uh, of podcasts that make it this long is, is not that many. Right. So give us a subscribe. Uh, we don't get any chatter in the comments. If you want to troll us in the comments, we would welcome that at this point. Uh, we are on your favorite podcast platform. Brian is uh, so kind to upload our, our re- YouTube recording to the uh, popular podcast. So we're on the podcast. We're on YouTube. We're Finance and Technology Insights with Brian and Eric. Uh, we also do have a Facebook uh, page that we pin news articles from time to time. Um, I just I thought I had two pinned there. Uh, just kind of transitioning us to the tech news. And I only see one, so I don't know what else I was recording, but um, if, I don't know if you have it up and want to share or... I, I don't. I was just going to share quickly this this headline since we just got into it. But this is the type of headline you saw um, last week or this three days ago. Trader who predicted the 2008 financial crisis bets $1.6 billion on stock market crash by the end of 2023. So he didn't necessarily put the up... The big Michael Berry? Yeah. So... Um, you know, this he didn't necessarily bet that of his own money or any of that kind of stuff. This is he's using option contracts to get potentially that type of exposure. But again, that's a little too technical to put in a headline. So they just go with um, with that headline. So, right. Um, 
Pull up our, while you're on the share, pull up our Facebook page if you're able. Yeah, hold on here. Do we hit the pause now that StreamYard supports pause? Oh, yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. Let's talk about that real quick. That was a feature we've been looking for is this pause button. So you see in the top right now, we have the end recording, the pause, the delete. I guess we can tr uh, restart, restart, which is nice. But it, it is um, nice. So what Brian's talking about, we use a platform called StreamYard.com to record these shows. It's a really nice, easy to use web based platform. Um, and they've been rolling out great features like the local up, uh, upload, you know, has been a great addition. So you have, um, you know, you can maintain quality when um, maybe the internet bandwidth on one side of the conversation is not so good. Um, I've been howling at them to add a pause and restart uh, record feature in there. They call it the studio. You, you can see the multiple screens and all the assets and things um, because, Sometimes you just need to pause your recording and and mm -hmm. and and re regroup or do something. And before you couldn't do that, so you would have to have this long, you know, your interruption in your recording, and then have to edit it out in post. You have to take the file and bring it out. Although they did say in that um, advert that they have an editor, which I forgot that they have. I guess a clipper mm -hmm. and, and a light editor. I wish they would yeah. really spend some money on making a, a really robust editing platform so that it's a multiple people can be um editing the, but, but anyways we just logged into the stream yard and they finally added the pause yeah that's restart really nice. and delete uh in the recording studio so now we can pause our live recording which is great so here's what we were talking about um as far as our facebook page this is something eric posted on sso giveth and taketh away yeah so this, that's a term i often i often say to troll people who you know I, I am such a promoter of web and cloud uh infrastructure for business and and um one of the things that i've been championing lately is single sign-on or sso uh it has a lot of benefits it's basically one identity that all of your web apps that you use to run your business can use to sign you in so you just can move freely around the, the apps that you use. We use dozens of apps to run our business and they're all web-based, um, but it is a single point of failure. So if the SSO goes down, then uh, your access to all of your apps goes down. And Duo uh, is a um, major player in the SSO uh, multi-factor authentication. I guess they call it the Identity Provider Service, IDP. Is the, is the technology that's used to um, manage single sign-on. Um, so they had an outage yesterday um, and I didn't do a deep dive, but an outage is an outage. And it, um, I think it came online later that day. So, and that's often the experience now with web-based outages, but it still stings. I mean, SSO is, a, is, the, is the keys to your apps. So if your keys are not functioning, then you cannot use your apps. And it's just like when Microsoft Office 365 has outages and you can't get email for a day or you can't get access your SharePoint files for a day, um, it's, you know, it's pretty impactful to, to the business. So I always use the term when the internet giveth and taketh away. Um, right. Yeah. And, and outages, obviously you'd probably rather have an outage than some sort of major hack. So if they detected something and quickly, 
shut it down to uh, prevent something. Maybe they could spin it as a positive there, right? Well, I don't. Yeah, and 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 you know, you don't always know if the outage is a result of a of a security incident. Yeah, that too. And this this article, I don't think reported the details of that. Um, hopefully, the hopefully Cisco and Duo will um, do a post mortem and and let us and let everybody know what's going on. Uh, fortunately, we don't use the product uh, or re uh, recommend it to our clients for no other reason that there's just uh, other products in the space that are more. Yeah, who who are the leaders there? I know uh, um, I use Semantic VIP for one of the apps that I use, but that's comes down from them it's not something necessarily i could pick the biggest uh, player to be honest with you happens to be this company called okta okta okay. and they're kind of microsoft and google agnostic they're it's its own mm -hmm. you know just as duo is um and for whatever reason i, I don't know the history or, or the genesis of why okta maybe they were first to market with it um i mean it, it is a standard uh it is a standard and microsoft it has been known to lag behind standards and new technologies and or or just flat out refuse to participate in, in, in them. Apple does it. They all do it. You know what I mean? Um, so when I, I'm I can only speculate that when SSO was coming up in the in the 20 teens, maybe Octo was kind of the first to market. So when when that was kind of bleeding edge and being deployed, they just benefited from a large install base. And as a result, a lot of web apps natively support Okta. And then, then you have to invoke a custom configuration of the standard if you use a different vendor, if that makes sense. Mm. Kind of like right. technical, a technical um, qualifier there. But um, yeah. So, and I think Okta had a security breach, I think last year. So they, you know, they're not impervious to, um, you know, failures and, and impacts. So mm -hmm. anyways, I thought that was newsworthy. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think you said last week you prefer the use of authentication apps versus texting a code. Well, it's not even that I prefer. It's a well, it's well documented that when it comes to tiers of security uh, or mm -hmm. risk tolerance, <clears throat> uh, the community just views SMS as your second factor to be less secure than an authenticator app or a smart card or smart key. Um, okay. And that's because a, a number of years ago, a few high profile hacks of journalists, cell phones and SIM cards mm. were publicized. Um, there was a number of journalists who covered uh, their uh, life being hacked and destroyed in real time from as a result of a hacker social engineering attack calling T-Mobile a call center and convincing the human on the phone uh, with enough validating information that the hacker was the owner of the account. And you can over the phones, just transfer your SIM card or your SIM to another phone. And once, you know, once you have that, and then of course you can use any black, uh, uh, not black or dark web resource to download a trove of uh, harvested passwords from various hacks and, if you're one of the everyone who, you know, uh, uses reuses passwords, it's just a matter of, um, you know, that's that that is the attack for vector for that. Got it. OK. What else was on your list of things to discuss? Um, what else? I've been invited to uh, Channel 8, I think, tomorrow to oh, good. 
to discuss, I don't know if I mentioned that last week or not, but I'm, um, Channel 8 has uh, has just invited me to discuss the New Haven, Connecticut Board of Education, $6 million attack, hack that happened, I think, last week or two. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that last week. Has there been any updates on that? Do you know if they were able to recover any more of the money? The news cycle seems to peter out about it, and I don't go to the length of calling the the victims and I don't, I'm not going to call the CIO at the BOE and try to, you know, see what happened or whatever. Um, I don't know if anybody's going to do an FOI on it, freedom of information on it or whatever. So I'm just going by what's publicly reported. Um, again, I, I think, I think it's, I think they even made it clear that it was a business email compromise, what they call a BEC hack. Um, and I kind of threw some heavy shade at, at the organization for likely, and if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll stand corrected. But yeah. um, they likely did not have company-wide or global MFA multi-factor authentication enabled. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably didn't have. They were, I, I spoke about this email forwarding feature in yeah. Microsoft 365. You know, it's it has really minimal value to 99% of users, but it has a. It, but it's a significant tool that hackers use to. Um, to compromise email accounts so that they can, you know, do further damage and insert. And what, and what they often do is they compromise an email account, create these forward rules of you're sending an email, they route, you know, in and out emails from your mailbox to another mailbox. So then they can observe your communications. And then if you have a a high stakes or financial uh, transaction that you're conducting through email, they slip in to that conversation um, in various clever ways um, to then get you to reroute you know, changing account numbers or routing numbers and stuff to, um, yeah, Yeah, those, those rules can be pretty powerful for both good and bad. I mean, you can even have, you know, certain keywords, you know, if there's, if it finds the word password or reset, it automatically forwards that email and keeps a copy of it in that person's inbox, or you could have it delete it in the person's inbox. So you could set up an account for somebody and use that email address and have it forwarded, deleted, and that person would never know. So you do have to be careful on those rules. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what's weird about it is it's it the the activity of the rules are kind of not in the visibility of the user who owns the rules. There's no right. there's no visual cue that a rule was just fired and then a message right. was routed. You know, it's it's really kind of a it's uh, by now Microsoft needs to do better in my opinion mm-hmm. in that regard. It's they they just started releasing some admin tools that email administrators can start disabling that functionality at the yeah. server level. But I mean I think they just released that this year, you mm-hmm. know, maybe last year. Um, yeah. they, they need to do better. Like maybe having a visual cue that says like a, a, a message rule just fired and some plain right. speak as to what it's doing, you know, so that yep. it prompts somebody to go like, well, that's not maybe even a, a security warning that pop up that says, you know, if you didn't configure this, um, contact your email administrator or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Or even once a week, you know, here are all the rules you set up. Please confirm these to continue, you know, or something like that. Something. Um, something. Yeah potentially some good ideas there. So uh, I had, I don't know. I don't know. You know, the news is kind of weird if they, if they are, you know, I just saw the, um, the, the recorder um, I texted him this morning and said, Hey, you saw me come down tomorrow to, to discuss it. Um, Mm -hmm. He just says, uh, he just said it. I think he still thinks it's newsworthy and he wants me to come down. So whether it makes it to the, to the news or, you know, whether they publish it or not. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going down there in person. You're not doing a remote thing. Yeah. They want me to come into the studio. So I got 
I got to throw a suit on and dress like a grown-up. All right. Don't forget to plug the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So I have uh, – I just had some notes, and I, I think this might be fun because you have no idea really what any of these notes mean. But I have some some notes here. I have cards, stealing, ETFs, and then I have back to the basics. Those are my four notes that I just kind of scribbled down before the show. Any of those interest you at all? Say, say that again. Back to the basics. And... And back to the basics. ETFs, which is exchange traded funds, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. stealing, and the fourth option is cards. Cards. Uh, I want cards, and I want back to the basics. Okay, so so cards is uh, relates to the sports card hobby, which has been very fierce over the last uh, really five just, years. Well, yeah. Uh, so. So big picture, the company called Fanatics, which produces, um, which runs the back end of all of the major sports uh, leagues, all of the stuff you order. So if you go on MLB.com, you want to order a Yankee shirt, it's going to come from Fanatics. They're they're either selling it, they even produce their own stuff now. So they're actually making some of the t-shirts and selling those alongside Nike and stuff like that. They bought uh, the Topps Chewing Gum Company, Topps Trading Card Company. Um, oh, they bought Topps? Yeah, so they bought Tops a couple years ago now, and um, the, even that was a pretty ferocious business deal because what happened was Tops had Tops at that point only still had licensing for baseball. They had lost football, basketball, and hockey. Oh wow! And so f- I think Fanatics tried to buy Tops. Tops said no. So then Fanatics said, "Fine, we'll just bid on the MLB package ourselves to produce MLB cards, which would effectively put Tops out of business because they had nothing." Wow. Except maybe like garbage pail kids or something. So then, um, so fanatics just put out like a ridiculously bit, ridiculously high bid. It was like 10 times what tops put up. So MLB took the fanatics bid making tops basically worthless. So then fanatics went and bought tops. Wow. That is a, that's crazy. That's a story. That's a crazy story unto itself. I know. And so now fast forward a little bit. So the, the football and basketball licenses were both owned by a company called Panini, who's been around forever. They used to just make stickers and stuff, and now they, they kind of got into the card game and stuff. And now those two have been battling back and forth because Panini sees Fanatics as a massive threat. And um, so Fanatics, let me make sure I get this right, Fanatics, Panini sued Fanatics for being um, monopol- monopolistic. Sure. Um, and then Panini countersued and said, or um, then Fanatics countersued and said, Panini is just not creating a good enough product. That's why everybody is jumping to us for the licenses because Panini, and then they outlined a bunch of, a bunch of things um, that Panini was doing bad, some quality control issues. And um, so now those two are going back and forth. And then late last night or yesterday afternoon, I guess um, the NFL players association, uh, canceled their contract with Panini and said they're going with Fanatics and there was three years left on that contract. So um, so it's kind of up in the air, I guess, at this point as to are there going to be football cards this year? Now remember, there's two separate licensing issues, which makes this even weirder, is you have the Players Association, which allows you to produce cards with the player's name, image, and likeness. But then you also need the league um, to be able to use the NFL logo or the logos of the It'd team. It'd be funny to have a lot of NFL players in generic. Uh, uh, <laughs> generic well, it's funny uniform. you should say that because that's actually happened in, in the baseball card world. There's 
there's a, a company called Leaf that's been producing cards with just the players only license. Oh, so no there's kidding. no team logos on the cards. And they're always in positions where you don't see the front of their helmet. And they turn <laughs> to the I know it's the weirdest thing. I've never had any interest in those. Some people buy them, but I don't. That's and then their uniforms, like it's always either cropped to where it doesn't show because you can't even show Yankees. Across and they get the away way. with the color even. They're like they can see the pinstripes or the yeah, coloring. And that's that's so weird. Use. So that's the question now is, is one organization going to produce cards that are just from the, from the players association that just has the, the generic stuff. And then, um, so anyway, well, what's, interesting is, what's interesting is, uh, you know, the NFL players association, if they, if they go away from Panini, if, if there's a coalescence around a single brand that may be temporarily, this here's the libertarian coming out. It's maybe temporarily beneficial for the short-term contract. But if you and maybe some of your, you know, cohorts are a contributor to the demise uh, or the consolid total consolidation or the monopolization of your of a of a, of a space, mm -hmm. that just means when there's no options down the road, then you know, then that fee is not going to be, you know, likely favorable for you. That's Again, right. You know. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, and if it turns people away from the hobby or creates just a product that's not any good, then you have all sorts of issues there. So uh, I apologize to the podcast listeners, but people who watching, um, I'm just showing an image here. This is one of this is from uh, this is from a leaf card where oh, they don't so have. Yeah. So there's no logo on the helmet. It's Mike Trout. I mean, it is a cool looking card, but see the way his arm would cover up normally where it would say yeah, angels across so the cross. So that's an, and, and over here, it just says Los Angeles. There's no mention of angels or anything like that. So, right, but they also have, and they also have to be careful about like not, not showcasing branding on shoes and cleats and gloves. Right. I mean, cause yeah, well, that's weird. You can pretty much, I mean, you can see at least, geez, there's at least four Nike logos on here. So I guess that's not an issue. Hmm. Um, but uh, there's got to be a certain amount of fair use, I guess. Right. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Or maybe maybe Nike's like, yeah, put our logos on that. We right. we pay big money to be on the MLB uniforms. But True. anyway, True. so that's kind of a hot like business story, I think, which is which is kind of interesting because it has a lot. I, of I love that stuff. I, I think that what do they call that? The um, what kind of business is that? The like the hostile... A hostile takeovers and like all that kind of arbitrage. Stuff. And yeah. Back, and it. Yeah. And so personally, the way I look at it is so, so fanatics bought tops. So they bought all that intellectual property that comes with it. So there hasn't been tops football or basketball cards for, for a long time now. So they could re resurrect those brands and they do a lot of throwback stuff where they do like current players and old designs. So that is kind of nice, but I just hate to see one company dominate like a whole industry yeah, like that. And uh, Innovation uh, slows down. Um, it does. Um, and they're even doing like some, some weird things where they're, um, so this segment's probably way too long, but so there's these people online that, that are called breakers and what they'll do is actually buy boxes or cases of cards and they open them online and they'll, they'll sell specific cards or specific teams or whatever. And usually those are regular card shops, brick and mortar shops. And then they just have a spot in the back where they'll do these breaks or whatever. Um, and they've become a pretty decent sized business. Um, but now fanatics is getting into the breaking business and they're like well part of this is like the chance of what cards you're going to get and does not like not smell right if you're producing the cards in your own factory and then you're going down the road and you're opening them up and saying wow look at all these great cards so now of course there's all these conspiracy theories that 
Fanatics is sending the better cards, like the rare hits, they call them, to like the breakers. Oh, so the, I show them on YouTube and mm -hmm. everybody be like, wow, it's such a cool card, even though they have no chance of getting those cards because they're all going to the breakers. And now yeah. even Fanatics could be opening them themselves. So yeah, dice, uh, dicey world of card trading. I know. I know. <laughs> the story is um, interesting, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a, it's got a business in the, uh, uh, a little bit of a technology angle into it, too, with some of the stuff that they do. But You want um, one more or you want to wrap? Um, well, I just, yeah, we could talk about this quick, but it's not, not anything like kind of earth shattering. But there's been a couple instances over the last week or so where done something that uh, would and answered questions for people that you would think are really basic. And I know you probably get this in your world too. We always want to talk about these complex things and like all this kind of stuff, but it's always a good reminder of just like getting back to, to the basics when you're in front of a group, like of, of employees or something, it's really easy to go off the rail and talk about something like way more exciting than what is an IRA? What is a 401k? What is an ETF? What is a mutual fund? All that stuff is so important. And we think sometimes that people, because they're in a certain position or of a certain age or from a certain, you know, economic, whatever, that they know that these basics, but it's literally it's, it today becomes... you used the term treasury. And I'm, and I wanted to ask you without embarrassing myself. It does. As, yeah, it I know. US, it's a, is it U.S. Treasury just a dollar bill? It's a, so it's a, it's a bond. So it's a, it's a bond where you're, you, you can go, you buy them directly from the treasury or you can buy them what's considered like a secondary market through like a Schwab or a TD account. Um, and then there's, there's two ways to make money on those. So you can buy them for a hundred, let's say, um, let's say that they're, they're at a 5% interest rate. So you buy it for a hundred, a year later, you get your hundred dollars back plus the $5 of interest. The other way is you can buy them at a discount where you buy them for $95 and then a year later they give you $100 back. So the ones that don't pay any interest are called zero coupon bonds and they will, they're priced at, those are kind of like the old ones like your grandmother used to get, you know, like they'd, they'd go into the bank and they'd buy a bond for $25 and then they'd say, here, here's a bond for $25. When you're 20 this will be worth a hundred dollars that's what those that's what those were what dictates the maturity on that one so so you can the on the contract on the bond yeah there's there's a there's a maturity date so the farthest yeah. out you can buy on a treasury bond is 30 years so you could you can go and say i want to loan money to the government for 30 years now you're not really locked in because you could always sell that the next day in but, a secondary um, market yeah yeah okay. you could always sell those most most times people buy those and hold them to maturity, but, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, it's a good reminder for me. Like I was having a conversation with somebody and we went into all these like asset allocation things because the first couple questions he asked, it's almost like he must've got them from somewhere. Like he read some Forbes article or something on LinkedIn. So he started off and he asked a couple of really good questions. And then his third question was still a good question, but it was really, really basic. And I'm thinking, if I have to answer this third question, he didn't understand the answer to my first two questions, you know? So it's like he got, and you see that all the time. It's like five questions to ask your financial advisor or three questions you need to ask your, your technology advisor today, you know? And then they ask these questions, but they have no idea on how to interpret the answers or what the next question might be. But, uh, you know, and then even, uh, you know, this week I was talking to a small business owner you know, really smart person, really, you know, all this kind of stuff, but explaining the basics of putting together her 
retirement plan for her employees. And again, I know it can be kind of technical and she knows a million things about, you know, her world that I don't, but, um, I just know, I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Cause yeah, I like that. I like once a week there's, there's these things where it's like, all right, I gotta just, you know, and from a content perspective too, I mean, everybody wants to talk about like the, you know, this in-depth thing that nobody knows about. It's like just figuring out different ways to say the same basic concept, I think has as well, much value. As- I mean, listen, you're a professional service. I'm a professional service. Our, our challenge to engage new clients and quite frankly, existing clients is, is an educational challenge. Mm-hmm. And how many times do you have to hear something? Do they say before you learn it? Seven, right. Yeah. And, seven, eight. Yeah. You know, so if you put out a, if you have like five basic points or 10 basic points and you just, put out a new video every, every week, every quarter, you might restart, start at the beginning again. And quite frankly, the algorithm will enjoy that because all, you know, the eyeballs only care about what's kind of new, you know, it's that his, those historical, that historical content, you know, from a well, digital marketing standpoint is, you know, they always, it's all about the new, 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 you know, mm-hmm. even if it's the same, 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 you know? Right. Right. Just new ways of saying the same thing. And just to listen to the way your customers and clients ask questions, the terminology that they use and the way they, the way they interpret it, whether you're in person or on zoom, you can see their face. You can see them go, Oh, okay. Yeah. Now I get it. Okay. Yeah. Now I get it. Yeah. And then you want to like, Oh, like, Oh, how did I just say that? What what phrase did I use to help them understand it? And then maybe that's the new, the new piece of content. But uh, I think you have. I think you're in the same boat as I am. You know, it's like our subject matters are just so, um, they're so um, kind of not technical, but they're so um, so so specific in their own right. You know that that um, this SMEs, the subject matter experts are of course the ones who love and operate in that space, but like everybody else outside the space is just like begrudgingly bumping against these things, cybersecurity, uh, you know, investments, you know, things like that. You know, I just want, I just want to be a lawyer. Or I, I just want to be an accountant or I just want to be a, a dentist, you know, like, Oh, I got to set up all these things, you know, and it's, uh, it's pretty, it's a, you know, it's pretty interesting. Yep, it absolutely is. Well, I think that's probably a good spot to end. So I'm uh, Brian Williams from Northshire Consulting, Connecticut-based investment advisory firm, helping small businesses and families on their wealth management and planning issues. I'm Eric Bjorndorf, CEO of Evernet Consulting. We're a national IT services provider. We mainly help professional services, businesses, doctors, lawyers, healthcare facilities, uh, but we do some manufacturing and, and we will support any type of business if we're called on. Um, if you want to meet with me to discuss your IT needs, uh, you can go to evernetco.com and find the schedule a discovery call button when you can find us on any social at evernetco. All right. Sounds good. And we're looking for you tomorrow on News Channel 8. Well, I'm in the studio tomorrow. I don't know how long it's going to be, if it's going to be a long produced thing. So I don't know if it's going to come out on Sunday or if it's going to be nightly news or something. And it may not even publish. I don't know if I bomb or whatever. My prediction is it's a five part (laughs) docuseries, 60 to 90 minutes. I think that's really the only way to break this down. Right, right, right. I hope not. All All right. right. We'll see you next Tuesday, Brian. Yeah.